I'm Cinder Niemela, and along with Charlotte Gilmano, welcome to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. I believe the most powerful gifts you can give yourself is time to reflect on your talents and experience, and then have the wisdom to act with confidence and grace. This podcast is for entrepreneurs, leaders, and individuals who want to thrive in work and life. Your journey to being connected and inspired by the world around you starts right now. Hi, this is Cinder. It is my pleasure to introduce today John King. John is the co-author of the New York Times number one best-selling book, Tribal Leadership. This book changed how we think about organizational culture. The premise is simple in theory. Every organization is composed of tribes. Tribes are naturally occurring groups of 20 to 150 people. But few organizations have a repeatable roadmap for leveraging natural groups to build thriving and resilient leaders and organizations. I first heard about tribal leadership at a conference where I heard Tony Shea, the CEO of Zappos and the best-selling author of Delivering Happiness, present with John. I was a huge fan of Zappos, and I was impressed by how Tony held John in such high esteem. At the time, I was head of culture and executive coaching for a large LA-based bank. When Tony said that John showed their leaders how to build resilient organizations by showing them how to assess, identify, and upgrade their tribe's cultures one stage at a time, I had to know more. So I bought the book and nearly finished it on the plane ride home. John has many talents and successes, too many for one episode of Inspired Wisdom. Therefore, I have split our interview into two parts. In part one, John will share his amazing experience. John was a professional dancer for 13 years. He started in ballet and then moved to competitive ballroom dancing in college. He taught dance and trained professionals, and he danced professionally on TV, film, theater, and nightclubs. He even danced on The Carol Burnett Show. John then directed, wrote, and sold TV shows and movies for several years. John reinvented his career and leveraged his experience as a performer. He led programs and trained coaches for Landmark Education. During his time with Landmark, John met Dave Logan. And over the next 13 years, John co-wrote two books with Dave, The Coaching Revolution and Tribal Leadership. He also taught at the University of Southern California, at the USC Marshall School of Business, the School of Public Policy, and the Annenberg School of Communication. In part two, John will go into more detail on the tribal leadership model. John's full bio is on the inspiredwisdom.us website. I welcome your feedback and suggestions for future guests. If you enjoy my interview with John King, please subscribe to the Inspired Wisdom podcast. You'll find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you go to download your podcasts. John, welcome to the call. How are you? I am so good. It is so good to hear your voice. Wonderful to hear yours, too. Well, and my siren. Oh, <laughs> uh, Where are you today? I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I'm kind of vamping till ready because I'm anticipating in within about 10 days going to Jordan to work with a, a bank turnaround there. There's a, a, an Egyptian commercial bank 
with 14 branches that is kind of upside down. So going to be working on a cultural change that might be a year and a half or two year program with them. Oh, for goodness sake. So you could wind up living over there for a year or so. Well, actually not. Uh, no. uh, my deal is that I'll come in for two days every six weeks, mm-hmm. but, I, but I've got people that I've trained that are on the, on the ground and I'm working with the CEO. And uh, so I'll come in and I'll work with them every six weeks for two days and we will measure them because I have a really interesting algorithm that is a diagnostic that, that actually measures not why, how and why people are different and how to deal with that, but how different people are the same and therefore they're already aligned on what we're up to here. So it's easy for me to plan their workload and get kind of the easy low-hanging fruit wins that I can of getting a, a group working together. Mm. So it's extremely uh, interesting. So we will introduce that. I'll do the kind of things that I do, uh, and we will do some things to bond them. I'm going to have them do the samurai game, and we shall see how it goes. But I'm not planning on moving to Amman. I've been there a couple of times, and it is really interesting. I really enjoyed it, especially Petra. Yes, yes. Very, very beautiful. Yeah, I've spent a lot of time down there in that area and have run several workshops there. And it's always great, but I I go every year, I go and I do something somewhere in the Middle East. So it's just rereading your background in Facebook that you put, and I'm like, how is it that I didn't know any of this? (laughs) So I want to go. Surprised. I thought, you know, I thought you knew all about that, but uh, yeah. Oh, well, let's go back to the very beginning. Where, Where did you grow up? I was born in Texas. My dad and mother are both geologists. Uh, so we lived around and around and around. So the first, before school, I lived in Indian villages. I lived primarily in Navajo and Hopi Indian villages. And then we moved to Albuquerque uh, to go to school. And my mother went back to school and picked up a master's in geology. And then she uh, went to work for the government uh, for Kirtland Air Force Base. And she ultimately became uh, the technical librarian who was accountable for all things uh, about nuclear devices in the Air Force. Wow. So, so whenever we lost uh, an A-bomb, they would call my mom. Mm. Oh, <laughs> and, for goodness sakes. Yeah, yeah, she had that job for about 35 years. And so she was the, she was the keeper of America's atomic secrets, actually. Oh, my uh, goodness. And my dad was a geologist. And uh, so I grew up uh, with my sister and my brother in Albuquerque, went to school here. Along the line, I would, got interested in dance, started taking ballet, went to ballet theater when I was 13. I got a number of scholarships, thought that was going to be what it was. But then I became interested in competitive ballroom dancing and uh, trained. And then eventually my sister and I won a number of uh, uh, national ballroom and Latin championships. And was this while you were in high school? Out of just out of high school and in the beginning of college. Oh, interesting. But uh, training all the way through high school. Yeah, I mean it was. I was on fire with it. Took a trip to Europe and hitchhiked uh, around Europe for about a year. Then came back and married my childhood sweetheart, whose mother owned the dance studio, and. Wow. Uh, taught dance and I trained people for kind of world championships and national championship ballroom competitions. 
then uh, it was Vietnam, so I went into the Army for a while. And when I came out of the Army, I decided that what I wanted to do was uh, go to dance on television. Mm -hmm. You know, I was watching at an NCO club one night, saw uh, a Red Skelton show, and I went, I can do that. I really can do that. So my wife, who was a dancer also, and I and our brand new daughter moved out to California. I got a job on the Carol Burnett show. She got a job on the Dean Martin show. And my uh, and my daughter came to all our rehearsals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I bet she did. <laughs> and I did that business until 1983, uh, which involved TV, film, live uh, nightclub acts, uh, theater, Broadway. My goal, I guess you would say, was to work for every single choreographer because I knew there wasn't really much of a future in dance, although I danced for 13 years at the professional level. Worked for all the different choreographers, which I did. And then I came out of that and I, I went over the hill, 1983, Barbara Mandrell show. Uh, oh. <laughs> and uh, I went over the hill, so I retired immediately because I promised myself that I would. I didn't want to drag it out. But I knew a number of people and they saw that I had a, a talent for writing and a talent for directing. So I started directing and writing people's acts and mm. stuff like that. And I hung around show business for several years, writing television specials and uh, wrote and sold several movies and stuff like that. And then got to a point in the mid 80s where there was a time where there were the SAG after strike, the Producers Guild and the Directors Guild and the Writers Guild were all striking at the same time. Oh, dear. Which I took as a, this is a good place to go find something else to do. <laughs> and so I, I didn't know what to do. So I, I, I went and started volunteering uh, at a company that does transformational work. And I volunteered and then I was spotted and somebody trained me to lead their seminars and their programs. And so I led programs for a company called Landmark Education. Oh, of course. And so I led everything but the forum and uh -huh. I trained coaches and stuff like that. And I did that till 2001, uh, re leading a program called the SELP and, and the advanced course and all the seminars and communication courses and everything else. Like I liked it. And I was on staff for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I left that and I formed uh, a company with Dave Logan, who had been one of my coaches in one of the programs that I was leading. Oh, is that how you met Dave then? Yeah, in yeah, he, yeah he came and he was in one of my programs. Oh, okay. And, and I thought he was, I thought he was cute and fun and clever. Uh, we formed uh, a company and out of that, he started inviting me to come lecture in his classes uh, at Marshall, at the Marshall School of Business. Mm -hmm. And so I came in and it turned out that people liked what I had to say, even though they would go, you know, what's your site for that? And what, where did you get? I went, I don't know. I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> Life experience, maybe. They, huh? <laughs> they liked it. But uh, not long after I was there, USC won a huge contract from the government of Japan to train Japanese uh, whiz kids in entrepreneurship because mm. the word entrepreneur doesn't occur in the Japanese language at all. Wow. And uh, they put their entire faculty together. And when they got finished, 
uh, Steve Sample, who is the president of the university, said, we don't have a business coach. And uh, Dave actually said, well, my partner's the best coach I've ever seen, and we've written a book called The Coaching Revolution, which is about business coaching. And he said, okay, King is our business coach guy. And so I taught at USC for 13 years. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And what, what did you teach then in the entrepreneurial well, program? Yeah, I taught in the uh, EMBA programs, uh, all the graduate programs for uh, Marshall School of Business, Price School of Public Policy. So I, I did a lot of training of the California legislature. And then I also was in the uh, Annenberg School of Communication. And I was kind of at the grad level. Just like most everything I've done in life, people kind of don't know what to do with me. So they kind of stick me where they think I'll be okay and then let me figure it out from there. So I ended up on faculty for three, three colleges in the university. <laughs> and wow. it was quite interesting. And well, the, the big thing about it was I didn't have a college degree, but I was there for 13 years. Dave and I were in business together for 13 years. So our company was called Jefferson Larson Smith. And we did that for about 10 years. And then for some reason, we needed to change it. So uh, it was changed to Culture Sync. And Dave and I had an amazingly fun, great relationship for about six or seven years. And then it kind of went downhill. And finally, I left uh, in 2011. And I just left the company to him, left everything to him and walked away to start over again. And I moved back to New Mexico because uh, I wanted to be around my mom. She was 97. So I wanted to be around mm. her. When I got here, a guy who I used to be on business faculties with like CBRE's faculty and a lot of real estate faculty came to me and he said, I have this thing that I want to talk to you about. Uh, what it is, is it's leadership academies in uh, Central Asia. There are nine countries there and uh, every country selects four or five outstanding people that they think are going to be high potential in either government or business or NGO and we train them. So mm. we have about 40 people who come. We have about 20 people who come to uh, facilitate it and support them for our learning groups. And what I'd like you to do is be on faculty. And I told him that I was very, very flattered and I declined. And he said, why? And I said, because I just spent 13 years doing patty cake leadership and I can't do one more syllable. Oh. <laughs> Every single time I open my mouth and I lean into it, somebody gets offended and I get fired. <laughs> and you know, it's like if you can't have a straight conversation in leadership, I just don't want to do that. And he grabbed me by the shoulders and he put his nose up against my nose and he said through clenched teeth, John, this is the real deal. <laughs> and I said, okay, I will go once. So I went, I went to Istanbul. There, about three or four days into it, I was walking to class and I noticed that I was, my face was wet. I was crying. Oh. Now, why am I crying? And I was crying because I was so inspired by who these people were and what they were about. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I taught there. And then from there, it went to the Middle East Leadership Academy, Southeast Asia Leadership Academy, the Moscow International Leadership Academy. And then, I'm, then I was already on faculty at something called the Southwest Leadership Program for the University of Arizona. 
So that's what's kept me busy is doing that. Well, yeah, I wondered why you were uh, doing all this travel. I was, I was actually in Istanbul at Coach University uh, teaching when they had the coup. Oh, you were? Oh, yeah. wow. That was interesting. <laughs> yes, and I bet I, it was. And as a result, unfortunately, we're not uh, we're not at coach in, in in Turkey anymore because the Armenians won't go. You know, the Armenians don't recognize Turkey. What they recognize is West Armenia. So we are now in Bulgaria, outside of Sofia. Oh, okay. Uh, at American universities. It's such a fascinating place. I was just in, literally just got back from Yerevan, Armenia, where they had the Velvet Revolution, and it was a peaceful revolution, and they completely changed their government. Mm -hmm. Then I was in uh, Tbilisi, Georgia, at New Vision University, which was uh, an astonishing uh, experience. And then I was in uh, Tashkent, uh, Uzbekistan, at an accelerator called Ground Zero, and they are transforming uh, Central Asia. It mm. is just amazing what's going on. I'm looking forward to going back. And, and How do you mean transforming? You mean the leadership? or Yeah. The, uh -huh. the president died. He was in business for 25 years, which is what happens with every one of those countries. And when he was in business there, the amount of corruption uh, just rose. And it became more difficult to get into Uzbekistan and get out, and you had to watch yourself, than in Russia. Hmm. It was really, really strict and very, very difficult to get in the first time I went. But new president and very progressive new mayor of Tashkent, and they are bringing in business, and they are interested in startup, and they want to get high tech going, and they want to get uh, you know other sources of uh, income going for the country. The people are great. It literally is. The people have an experience of being free, uh, like they've never felt in their lifetime, and they are definitely headed the right direction. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. What, you know, with your experience with the leadership program in Istanbul and the Middle East and mm -hmm. Southeast Asia, what differences do you see in leaders, if any? Not a lot. To me, it's kind of like the differences in the leaders and the quality of the leadership is a direct function of how comfortable they are. What do you mean yeah. by that? Uh, if you're in Southeast Asia... What I notice is that almost everybody's kind of interested in business and they're interested in big business. They want to, you know, it's like they want to be vice president of Coca-Cola or, or something like that. But it's mostly a business sort of thing. And there's not really much access for people from government, maybe a few NGOs, but it's very business directed and it's almost business at the level of, of management and manufacturing. That is actually my least happy place to go. It all seems to be driven towards being more efficient rather yes. than more effective. Yes. Uh, then uh, Central Asia, it's 10 countries now because Mongolia has now joined us. They're poor. They have been underneath the post-Soviet point of view for a long, long time. Well, when I first started doing this six, seven years ago, people would go away and the very first thing they would do is they'd go back to their country and they would start a leadership academy for their children because they were clear that it would never happen for them in this lifetime, but perhaps their children. 
could mm. get to a place where they could do it. Now we've trained enough people in that area that uh, we've got a lot of people in the legislatures and the parliaments, even to the point where we got a guy up to the point where he was the vice premier of Georgia. Mm. And Georgia during that time took on uh, transparency and corruption and completely cleaned their government up. So it is working and they are popping and everybody else saw that and said, we want to do this too. Now, everybody else is either resisting it because they've got the same governmental structure that they had before. Say, so the same president that was voted in in 1991. Mm -hmm. Or like uh, Uzbekistan, the president died, they elected a new president, and the new president got a new mayor in, and, they are, and they're off and running. And uh, Russia is very hands-off. You would think that they would like be in there leaning on them. Not at all. Mm -hmm. Because Russia is actually beginning to transform a lot. Everybody, everybody, everybody is a startup entrepreneur in Russia. They are more like us and we are becoming more like them. Mm. So some of the other countries in the Middle East, like Iran and Iraq and... Uh-huh. And... We, do, we don't have Iran in, mainly because what we've got is we've got Qatar and Saudi, and uh, Saudi is, you know, deadly enemies with Iran. And it's also been the U.S. policy, you know, to suppress Iran. Too bad. But mm -hmm. uh, that's the way it is. But we do have Iraqis. We have uh, Yemen. Uh, Oman, a lot of people participating with Oman, Qatar, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, uh, Lebanon, Jordan, Syria. And there's a big divide between the Gulf states, which have been very wealthy, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the people in the Levant who are very, very poor. And the Arabs are, uh, you know, all of these people are tribal. That's the only one. This is why I can get in with them is because I can talk to them about the Hopis. Yes. <laughs> you know, and make friends. So they get that I kind of understand the tribal point of view. But uh, if they're wealthy, uh, they're arrogant. And the Middle Easterners, there's a lot of arrogance going on there. Or if they're poor, they'd really like to get some help, but it's not forthcoming from the people in the Gulf states. Mm-hmm. So the Gulf states are not going to be facilitating Syria, Lebanon, uh, and Jordan. Mm. Those guys are kind of on their own. And they don't have the natural resources. They don't have the oil and stuff like that to do it. So they've got to figure out how to get themselves into a, a kind of a business trade economy in order to work. And, uh, but they're in a, geographically in a place where people are going through there all the time, like Istanbul. So it's mm -hmm. a perfect place for a middleman brokerage kind of business economy to arise. Very interesting. You know, I want to go back for a minute and talk about tribal leadership. Sure. Uh, how is it that you came about writing that book and can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the work that you did at Zappos? Oh, sure. I'm Cinder Niemela and you've been listening to the Inspired Wisdom Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope these conversations illuminate your path to your highest potential. For show notes and links to resources mentioned during today's episode, please go to inspiredwisdom.us. You can also follow Inspired Wisdom on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, design a fulfilling and prosperous life that engages your talents 
and passions.